Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. I didn't invent spike ball. I brought it to CCF and taught all my friends, and then they all became better than me. So that's, that's what I got for spike ball. Also, I was here for the Apple incident, and at the time there was a group me, and it was like going off. The, the Apple, it, it was the talk of the town. Um, <laughs> but I know I recognize some of you, but for many of you, I'm meeting you for the first time. So I'm Hannah. Um, I'm five foot two, not four foot two. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what the heck is going on. So uh, yeah, I graduated in 2020, graduated. Um, so just a short while ago, um, I already feel very irrelevant here. There's lots of cool new amazing things happening. And it simultaneously feels like I was just here yesterday and it's been a million years since I've been here. So I think the last time I was actually in this room was March 2020, our last service before spring break. And I was like frantically trying to get everyone to turn in all their stuff and their money and definitely wasn't planning for that to be my last time. So it's cool to be back here and um, with you all now, even, even now. So while I was at Truman, um, I was spring break head uh, for two years with Alex. I was a student intern and a small group leader. Um, and I was also involved in Cardinal Key and the student activities board. And But many of my favorite memories were here. And I used this opportunity to go through my camera roll and find some highlights. Um, top left is um, the most epic photograph with me and Alex and Nate and the staff kids. We're all very well color coordinated on spring break and I just, I think that will go down in history. Um, bottom left is me and Reed looking like snow babies. I don't know if anyone knows what a snow baby is, but we, um, we both have really slouchy sweatshirts and that was our, our go-to. Um, Middle with the bike, so this is a whole story. Um, we were at the CCF house, hanging out. Leah Deeker parked her bike there. We saw the bike get stolen. We chased after the person, nicely asked for it back, got the bike back, and Nate Komar so graciously drive, drove them to their destination. So um, <laughs> we got the bike back and everyone was happy, so that's good. Um, top middle, some event at Halley Hotel, probably a YAH event. Um, Top, other top middle, me and my sister Sarah at Women's Retreat, plug for Women's Retreat, always a great time. Um, bottom middle, that's me and Alex on spring break. This spring break was in Tennessee. There was lots of plumbing issues. I think we had like six toilets overflow. So we were in charge of that. This particular occasion was us realizing it was just pee. So we were very happy about that. Um, but not to be outdone, Alex and I were talking today about um, when Trush un unclogged the CCF toilet with his hand. He was like, <laughs> um, Alex and I tried for like an hour, we couldn't get it, and we, Trush came in and just used his hand. Um, so yeah, kind of a lot of toilet events here. Um, top right is my senior year interns. Um, we staged a coup when all the staff members were gone when I was preaching senior year, and we took over and recreated their staff photo and just basically took over CCF for a day. 
And then bottom right's my baptism. So a lot of good things happened here. Um, and so I also need to show a picture of my regular family. Um, uh, this is my regular family, the smiles. There's now 11 of us. Both my brother and sister got married this summer, so it's been a very eventful summer. That's the, all of us on the left. On the right, I think, is a more fitting picture for us. My dad's an engineer, um, and one of his favorite things in the whole world is concrete. So um, we needed to remake a sidewalk at my, parents, or my grandparents' cabin. So he said, we're going to do it ourselves. And we all had to go up and help build this sidewalk. Even my four-year-old niece had like the smoother and was like smoothing out concrete. Um, it's a team building activity if you've never done it before. So um, yeah, that's my family. They're pretty cool. They all live in Chicago. And yeah. So uh, um, uh, let's see, where am I? Uh, right now, I'm in grad school in St. Louis. I'm at Wash U getting my degree in occupational therapy. So uh, yeah, wow, go OT. Um, for those of you who don't know what OT is, um, basically it's focused on breaking down barriers um, due to illness or injury or environment that helps people participate in the activities in their life that is meaningful to them. So it looks like a variety of things, any activity, like a morning routine or driving or working or hanging out with friends or doing any sort of fun activity. Um, we are there to help people if they find barriers to that. So I just finished 12 weeks at Barnes and I'll be doing my next clinical in the school district. So I think that's pretty relevant um, to my life right now. I've been, a lot of what I'm talking about today has kind of been a passion project for me um, and it feels like a very uncoincidental coincidence that they asked me. I was very surprised, but also like very excited. Um, and a lot of what I'm talking about is like a long time coming of my testimony and how uh, it all flows into my new career and putting it all together has been really life-giving for me. So I'm very thankful to be here. Um, and a lot of the authors that I've been reading recently are disability scholars and theo theologians and many of them have really incredible things to say about this topic. So um, here's some of the, th the books and resources I've used um, for my talk today. There's a couple more, but these were kind of the basics. So I forgot to put my email at the end, but if you want any reading material or anything like that, um, come talk to me afterwards, because there's a lot of cool stuff out there, a lot to learn um, about all things Beatitudes and um, including and community and all that. So let's embark on Matthew 5, 5, meekness. So first, let's pray together. Lord, may uh, the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here today be pleasing to you, and may they glorify you. Um, amen. Simple and sweet. All right. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. One verse today. And so before we dive in, I want to do a little bit of an intro with you all, a little recap. A lot of it's going to sound familiar. Um, and so uh, let's zoom out from our little verse today. Um, we have our chapter, because um, we are meant to read all these Beatitudes together. Um, a really good way of looking at it that I felt found helpful was Tim Mackey from the um, Bible Project. He did a, his own sermon on this, and he presented the Beatitudes as a stained glass window. And so when we put the stain, all the pieces of the stained glass window together, um, we see the heart and the kingdom of God. 
And it's a really beautiful image to think about as we read through the chapter together and as we go through each week. So here we go. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, so uh, we have our chapter. We see we're in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he's teaching them. So let's zoom out one more time. Let's back up a little bit to Matthew 4. Um, And Jesus is kind of, in the end of Matthew 4, beginning to speak publicly about the kingdom of God. And we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago when he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he begins inviting disciples to follow him, and he begins teaching in this region of Galilee, and crowds start gathering, and they start following him. And so who are in these crowds, you may ask? Um, And so we have fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John that he um, brings in. And then we have the people who are sick, uh, the demon-possessed, the disabled, and the overall outcasted from society. And Matthew clearly points out that the crowds of the lowest parts of society are in Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, and all around the region are the ones who are flocking to Jesus here. So we have a little bit of our context of our crowd, and I think that's like one of the most important parts of understanding the Beatitudes. Um, And Jesus begins to speak to them. And actually, Jesus sits down and begins to speak to them, which I think is um, important. He gets on their level, and so we're envisioning this large crowd of sick and hurting and injured and disabled and poor and rejected people, and he sits with them and he begins to bless them. And so another reminder about what it means to bless, um, Reed told us in the intro that blessing someone is pointing out the people who are welcome in the kingdom, the ones who are living the good life now. And so with this, we have to remind ourselves that these beatitudes that we're learning about are not a checklist or a list of virtues that we're trying to attain or characteristics on how to be a good Christian. Um, Our Western-focused brains like to insert ourselves into these passages and force them to tell us what to do, how to act, what to be. And I definitely can be one of those person. I like the straightforward. I like the tangibles. I want the checklist. What can I do to get better, move forward? Um, But this is not what that is. And as Reed Dent and Dallas Willard and Sky Jitani and now Nate Carmore have all reminded us that these Beatitudes are a description, not a prescription. Jesus is describing who is being welcomed into the kingdom, um, not giving us a nine-step plan on how to prove yourself a better Christian. And so if you haven't heard it enough this semester, I'm going to tell you one more time, description, not a prescription. So when we're listening, we need to um, keep that in our minds because it's really easy to um, put it backwards. And what Jesus is doing here is really charged. He's blessing these flocks of lowly discarded people who are gathered around him with literally the kingdom of heaven, the power of the kingdom. 
And Jesus is doing what Jesus does and creating this upside down kingdom where the last are first. And he's turning to these insignificant people and saying, hey, you're invited to this intimate relationship with God first. And this is unheard of um, at the time. Tim Mackey says um, he affirms everything about these people in full recognition. Through these blessings, Jesus is saying the kingdom is yours first to these people. And to be honest, they've probably never been first at anything They've actually probably been last in line their whole entire lives. And so this is a big deal to them. And so uh, the last couple weeks, we've introed, we've talked about um, two Beatitudes so far, and now we're going to talk about the meek today. Um, Has anyone used the word meek lately besides in this context? Raise your hand. Oh, we got one. Okay. Amazing. Um, I definitely don't use it in my vocabulary. Um, So I did a lot of reading about what meekness has come to mean. And I think if I was to ask someone on the street what they thought meekness meant, um, they would tell me to be humbled, um, to, to be self-controlled. And, and I think in some ways that really does make sense and that is um, part of the definition. But I think it's helpful for me to shift my angle of approach when I'm um, approaching meekness here. Um, a little bit from the Google definition, but more to the contextual understanding um, that we just talked about. So uh, who Jesus is speaking to. So. Through all my reading, I've found kind of some other helpful understandings of meekness um, that help me understand what Jesus is saying. Um, Tim Mackey calls it um, those who think of themselves as unimportant. And Brian Miller, um, his definition is those whose presence are uh, ignored. And so for those um, surrounding Jesus right now, that really um, makes sense in context. Uh, The poor, the disabled, the unclean, who are complete outcasts in society and have pretty much been deemed unimportant altogether are all gathered around him here. And just as important, though, to me, I think there's also people who maybe weren't unimportant in society but felt unimportant in their own journeys. And Jesus is pointing at all of them and telling them in this moment that the earth is theirs that they are God's people, just as they are. And this is before he dives into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is also really important. It's the first thing he says. Um, Before talking about how to pray, or how to give, or how to judge, or anything else in front of this crowd, he blesses every part of them. He tells them they're living the good life now. And so how incredibly powerful is this? In their society, built upon social construct, upon reputation, upon having the most, looking the best, being the strongest, maybe not too different than our society today, it's the meek, the unimportant, um, who are now being recognized and brought in first to his kingdom. So no wonder so many are gathered here. The ones who sit there with a disability that society has deemed altogether unimportant, unable to do work or participate in worship or even gather in the same way as their community, he blesses them, their importance, and he welcomes them into the freedom um, and power of God's kingdom, just as they are. They don't need to be fixed or cured or look a certain way or walk or fit into the box that society has cast them out in to have this personal relationship with God. And the ones who are poor, the ones who are drowning in debt, that they have no chance of getting out of, Jesus tells them that they belong here too. Without becoming rich or powerful in the way that society urges them to be, the earth is theirs. And the simple ordinary person who's really never been known as exceptional, their unimportance is what Jesus validates here too. And so for us, for every single one of us who is plagued by feelings of being unimportant and insignificant, 
Jesus provides an invitation to us and a blessing over each one of us. Because really, let's be honest with ourselves for a second, how often do we feel insignificant today? How often do we feel like nobody cares about what we think or what we have to say, or that the work that we're doing in our corner of the world isn't important enough or making a big enough difference to even matter? How often do you feel like you're mourning something in your life that nobody, not even the world, doesn't really care about? How often do you feel like you're being judged or have been deemed lesser than or have been discounted because of who you are and what you look like or where you come from or how your body works or a mistake you've made? If I were to guess, I have a feeling that at some point recently or even right now, um, we're, we're all, we've all been made to feel like we're not enough, that we're unimportant in our society and in this world that we live in. And I see it everywhere around me, and I think I see it especially in myself, that monster of unimportance that weighs down. I feel it when I'm yearning for attention from the people around me. I feel it when I find myself striving to accomplish more in school and in work. I feel it when I'm scrolling on social media. I feel it when I'm running on the hamster wheel chasing an importance that is literally structured to be unattainable in our world. And in fact, I remember many specific times when I even sat in these seats here and felt unimportant even in this body. There was always someone more involved than me, more well-liked than me, smarter than me, funnier than me, the list goes on. And so in many ways it feels like there's no escape from the plague of feeling unimportant and unseen right now. But the truth that's so unbelievably difficult to understand is that Jesus has blessed us as we already are. For every piece of ourselves that our society, our culture, our professors, our families, our friends, and even our church has looked at and written off as unimportant or unworthy, or maybe has even just forgot about, uh, Jesus in this verse has blessed that. Um, and Jesus has told us that that is what the very kingdom is being built upon and that you shall inherit the earth. Um, we are welcomed into the kingdom not for our greatest moments or our most significant worldly achievements, but for the parts of us that the world wants to hide, to normalize, to fix. Uh, we belong in Jesus' kingdom not because just with those things, but because of those things. And so that's a really incredible and upside down and astonishing, absurd, freeing thing. And I would encourage you to sit with that just for a little bit because, at least for me, it's hard to understand. Um, but like Reed said a few weeks ago in his intro, just as we can laugh, hopefully, and realize that we're the meek ones that Jesus is blessing, we also need to open our arms and realize that just as or more importantly, it's others around us that are being blessed by him. Um, Alice McKenzie puts it this way, that each beatitude combines elements of both promise and challenge because blessed, blessedness does not call for passive resignation um, to present hardships. Blessedness causes new orientations of thoughts and actions. And so we, just as we can take the blessing that God has put on our unimportance, we must equally spread Jesus' blessing upon all the people around us, all the unimportant, the meek. And so what we need to be doing is getting on the same page as Jesus and checking ourselves if we're actively blessing those who have already been blessed with the kingdom. We need to be opening our arms to each other in community. When our neighbor is shut out or deemed unimportant or ignored by society, we need to be welcoming them into this kingdom at hand and spreading the blessing that Jesus has provided through his resurrection. We can't hear this blessing from Jesus and continue to operate within the same blueprint of exclusivity that society does. We can't look around and see people who only look like us, act like us, think like us, and be comfortable with that. 
Jesus is inviting us here, and I would actually say closer to demanding us to stop hoarding our privilege and power. And as theologian Amy Kenny puts it, invest in the flourishing of the entire community of creation. I was talking to my good friend Allie Holloway about this, and she reminded me of Romans 12, 13, which reminds us to make space for each other, to provide brotherly love to the stranger. When we remain neutral about our community and the people around us, we stay on our own selfish path. That's easy for us, maybe makes us feel a little more important in this world, but that tells other people that we don't have the time or the energy or the money or whatever it is for them, and therefore God doesn't have that time for them, simply because we can't make the space to remind them of their importance. We need to listen and celebrate the people that have already been blessed with the kingdom, the disabled, the poor, the lowly, the cast out, the excluded, and hold ourselves and our friends and our churches accountable to creating a place where we all belong, just as we are. And I use belong intentionally here because I'm not talking about just inviting and I'm not talking about just including. We need to foster real belonging here for everyone um, in our faith communities. Because if we're inviting people into the space here, but it's not a space where they can belong, it's worthless. For too long, our inclusion has consisted of meaningless invitations to check off boxes and build our own savior complexes instead of what Rosaria Butterfield states as radically ordinary hospitality. Fostering belonging means actively building new relationships and a new culture, um, listening instead of speaking, and putting underrepresented voices in positions of leadership and power in our faith communities. And isn't this exactly what Jesus is doing with the Beatitudes? <laughs> he's not simply inviting the people sitting on the hill into the kingdom. He's handing them the keys first, building the kingdom around them with love as the foundation. And we can see the breadcrumbs of Jesus fostering this belonging across the Old and New Testament and through parables and life. Who is Jesus eating with? Who is he talking with? Who is he talking about? This is the fostering of belonging of the meek into his kingdom. And so here's the part you're not going to want to hear. I've been known to be blunt. Um, we need to do better. We need to get back on page with Jesus and empower the people that have already been blessed. Because in, in many ways right now, our church is, um, as a whole is actively excluding the meek, um, the ones that Jesus is sitting with on the mount. And it would be a disservice to my patients and my clients if I didn't speak specifically about the disabled population um, or the group of them who's sitting with Jesus on the mount here. And some of you may identify in this population, and some of you may not, but um, here I just want to amplify the voices of um, disabled biblical scholars who have been paving a path for belonging and inclusion in the church and exposing God's heart for the meek. Because at the moment, the church is still one of the most physically, emotionally, and spiritually un inaccessible places for disabled people. Um, families that are impacted by autism are 84% more likely to never attend a religious service based on their child's disability. And that's not a them problem, and it's not a God problem. Um, it's very actively our problem, each of us, um, as we try to foster belonging in our churches. Um, many churches don't have ramps or elevators for people who use wheelchairs or walkers to get around. And because religious spaces are exempt from the Americans with Disabilities Act, which means that legally they don't have to have these. Um, so we're just leaving many disabled people waiting outside the doors because they can't get in. And the harmful rhetoric like this surrounding disability um, 
um, and the requirement for someone to be cured before entering the kingdom leaves individuals ostracized from faith communities because they're not accepted as they are as Jesus accepted them on the mount. Uh, we have continued to marginalize the meek instead of lifting them up so that we can simply show God to them, um, which is so backwards. How have we strayed so far from Jesus' blessings on that hill? In the book of Galatians, Paul reinforces this idea that there are no second-class Christians, that the unimportant in our communities are the children that Jesus died for. Uh, towards the end of the chapter, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. If we're going to accept this invitation of freedom from, for God's love and resurrection, that means pouring it out. It means walking the walk, putting in the work, sacrificing something for the sake of lifting up someone else. Uh, Paul reminds us that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So let's be kingdom folk. Let's build upon this foundation of love and belonging that Jesus has already laid for us and blessed upon us. Amy Kenny puts it this way. Kingdom economics is not built on scarcity, but abundance. There is still room at the table after the meek are accommodated first. And this is the amazing news that Nate so greatly laid out for us two weeks ago and that we so keenly need to embody as the new generation of the church. I know that the world is overwhelming. Um, I know the feeling of being the meek and being an unimportant speck in this world. Um, and I know how truly suffocating that can be for many of us. Um, it can be that for me. Um, I know how easy it is to fall into despair, um, that nothing we ever do is enough, um, which leads to inaction and into mindless scrolling on our phones and into chosen ignorance because of it. I am the first to confess I'm often jaded about the world and I don't have all the answers and I haven't perfected the holy art of fostering belonging and I probably never will. Um, but I do know that I need to be spending less time with a sign and a bullhorn and more time with the tools of gratitude, humility, and an open mind to make the path to Jesus one where everyone belongs. We've messed up as a group and individually, and we're going to keep messing up and getting in God's way, and we're going to need a hard beatitude kick in the butt every once in a while to get our heads, get ourselves out of our heads and get us uncomfortable and but when it happens, we'll start the cycle over again, we'll let ourselves be blessed, and then we'll try again to answer God's challenge as he lays out through the Beatitudes. I couldn't find a better quote to end on than the one from the late Rachel Held Evans when she says, baptism reminds us that there's no ladder of holiness to climb, no self-improvement plan to follow, no list or prescription in the Beatitudes, it's just death and resurrection over and over again as God reaches down into our deepest graves and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, rests us from our pride, our apathy, our fear, our prejudice, our anger, our hurt, and our despair. And thank God for that. Let's pray. Oh God, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot to learn. Um, I pray that we can be lifting up the meek around us. I pray that we can laugh when we realize we're the meek and we can open our arms to see the meek all around us and put in the work to be lifting up them up as well. Thank you for the work that's already being done to lift up the meek and I pray that we can continue its action here on this campus. In your name we pray, amen.